Good morning, Journey Church. You know, they said we had a, a shorter sermon bumper video. That's kind of like a sermon bump. I don't think it was a bumper. So, uh, we're glad that you're here this morning. Glad you came out on such a rainy day. It's great to see you. Um, you know, I just want to welcome you. I know there's some new faces in the crowd, and I haven't got to say hi to you. I'd love to catch up with you after uh, we get done here. Uh, and so thank you for coming. Thank you for trying us out. Thank you for visiting uh, Journey Church. We want you to feel at home, and uh, I pray that that's what uh, happened when you walked in the door today. You know, I used to work for a, a company. It was a pretty big company. We had about 75 people, and we didn't make products. We, we kind of dealt in information, and so we had these huge computers, these powerful computers, and uh, every now and then they would kind of seize up on us. They'd kind of lock up. And uh, I know we had one guy in the firm, and, and man, he was a powerful guy. He was our IT guy. And uh, he kept things moving. And so if your, if your computer stopped working, you would call Griff. And Griff would ask you one question to start with. He would say, have you rebooted it? And, and if you said no, he would hang up on you. Because he knew the, the facts is a lot of times when things aren't working, we can reboot the computer. And most of the time... That's going to fix things and it's going to get us going again. You know, for the past couple of years, 18 months, two years, I felt like I've been buffering. I don't know about you, but you know when your screen's locked up and that little circle is going around? That's kind of what it's felt like for the past two years. Or maybe when you're watching a video and that little line is going across the screen when your images are locked up. That's kind of how I've felt in the past couple of years. You know, a lot of craziness going on. And I, I think it's, it's brought us to really understand that, hey, we need to reboot. And so maybe we need to reboot our lives. Maybe, maybe our, um, just, just our works, something, I don't know. But we need to reboot. And we need to reboot church as well. And so that's what we're going to be talking about uh, for the next several weeks, about how we can reboot. I'm 55 years old. And I... I I know it's easy for me to say things have never been this bad before. I mean, and, you know, that's kind of our, that's kind of human nature. When things get a little tough, uh, we kind of think things have never been this bad. We forget about all the struggles that we've had in the past. And I know that's just easy for us to do. You know, the Jews in the Bible, in the times of Exodus, they were famous for this. I mean, they were in the wilderness. God was providing them manna every day. And after a while, they started complaining about eating the same things every day. And before you know it, they were longing for the good old days, back in slavery, you know, back when they were brutalized and starved and nearly worked to death. You know, that's, we can do that. I mean, we, we can look back. We do that as well. I, I look back and think that, that things were better, and I start longing for the good old days. But you know, even so, I think it's kind of hard to argue that, that things aren't just a little bit more messy today, at least in recent history. And so, I mean, look at what's been going on. You know, COVID was almost gone. We were about to put it in the rearview mirror, and then this Delta variant kind of cranks up, and now we're going again with it. And so this isolation of the past couple of years, it's stressed everybody out. I know our kids, I was talking to an elementary teacher, and they said these preschool kids that are wearing masks and they're, they're kind of living in fear. They don't have the vocabulary to really tell us really how bad they're feeling, how stressed they are. 
And so we're stressed out. Chemical addiction and depression. That is something that, is, that has uh, reached epidemic proportions. It was bad enough before all of this. You know, police departments are declining. You know, they're shifting money around, whether you call it defunding or not. And then we have a shortage of police officers. And it's no surprise that crime is on the rise throughout our country in a lot of different cities. And there's, the, there's this debacle we've witnessed in Afghanistan. Then a coup in Haiti, a place that we're, we have a heart for. And then not long after that, devastating earthquakes that kind of tore apart this already uh, just messed up country. And then just last week, there was a hurricane. They say it was the biggest one that ever hit in the Louisiana area and caused a lot of devastation. Then it moved inland, and it soaked a lot of places that were already experiencing flooding. And so it's kind of hard to say that things aren't crazy right now. And so the question I want to explore with you today when I'm sharing with you is, how do we maintain hope? How do we hold on to hope in such crazy times? Today we're going to be looking at the Apostle Peter, and so if you want to follow along in your Bibles, we're going to be looking at Matthew 26, but let me set the scene for you here. Uh, This is right after the the time in the upper room. We just observed communion. This is is after Jesus gave them that that special uh, ordinance that they can carry through, something that we celebrate today, and so they've left the upper room. And if you kind of want to walk along with them, they they walk down these cobblestone roads in the southern end of Jerusalem through what's called the Old City of David. No doubt they walked past the pools of Siloam. They went out what's called the Watergate through the the city walls. They crossed the Kidron Valley and Jesus stopped in a vineyard. And he couldn't help but teach one more lesson to his apostles. And so he taught what we know famously as the vines and the branches. Then he prayed for himself, then he prayed for his apostles, and then they moved on to the Mount of Olives, to the Garden of Gethsemane, and Jesus took his apostles with him, and he went there to pray, and he took three of his inner circle, one included Peter, and he brought them closer, and then he told them to pray so that they wouldn't fall into temptation because he knew things were going to get pretty rough pretty quick. Then he went a short distance off to pray. He had to wake these guys up three times. And so then it got real. Then the temple police showed up, and they were there under the cover of darkness to arrest Jesus. And so they bound him up. Peter tried to stop it, actually pulled his sword, hacked one of the guards' ear off. And then Jesus said, no, this is not how this is going to play out. And he told him to put his sword away. Jesus healed the guy's ear, and then they took Jesus to the high priest to be judged. Uh, No doubt they took him to the high priest's house in Jerusalem. Now there's a church there. It's called the Caiaphas house. And it's where Caiaphas would have judged Jesus on that fateful night. So let me pick up in these verses. It's Matthew 26, verses 69 through 75. It says, Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant approached him and said, You were with Jesus the Galilean. Peter denied it. He said, I don't know what you're talking about. And then he walked outside the gate and another woman saw him and he told those that, she told those that were there, this man was with Jesus the Nazarene. And then Peter swore with an oath. He said, I don't know this man. 
Then after a little while, everybody was standing around him and they approached him and they said, you certainly were one of them because your accent gives you away. See, Peter was from a rural part of the country. He was from the north in Galilee uh, in a fisherman, fisherman's village on, uh, called Capernaum. And so he probably had an accent. It'd probably be like my eastern Kentucky accent going to Louisville. So, so it gave him away. His accent gave him away. Then Peter started to curse and he swore with an oath. I don't know this man. And then a rooster crowed after he had finished that sentence. And then Peter remembered what Jesus had told him in that room. He said that when a rooster, before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. Then it says Peter went outside and he wept bitterly. Remember that this took place that very night when Peter had told Jesus. He said, even if everyone else runs away, I will not run away. Just a few hours earlier, Peter had made that statement. See, he was a brave talker, but when the rubber met the road, he was singing a different tune. And you know, we can all come down hard on Peter for this. I mean, we can do that. It's easy for us to do and, and, and not understand why he did what he did. But folks, when it really comes down to it, what would we do? I mean, we live in this Western society where where we have everything that we need. There, we can make the argument that we don't need God. And if we were asked to basically deny our faith or lose our lives, what would we do? So before you're hard on Peter, before you come down on him, think about what your reaction uh, would be. See, these verses happen. When this happened, it says that he went away and he wept bitterly. And see, that's because he just realized what he'd done. And the Bible underscores this brief moment in time. It, just this brief moment in time when some of the other Gospels say that Jesus and Peter's eyes connected. Just this one moment about his bitterness at that one moment. But it doesn't talk about what happened when Jesus was being beaten. What Peter was going through when Jesus was being scourged. It doesn't really let us know how, how much anguish Peter was going through when his friend was dying on the cross. It doesn't talk to us, it doesn't tell us about what was going through his heart whenever, whenever Jesus' dead body was laying in the tomb. See, I, I got to think that those three days were rough three days for Peter. And all we know about in the Bible is just this one glimpse. You got to remember that, that Peter was in Jesus' inner circle. He was one of the 12 apostles. He had been with Jesus for three and a half years. Jesus knew his family. Jesus spent countless hours with Peter. Countless hours with the 12 apostles, but even more with three that included Peter. Zach talked about that last week, about this inner circle of Jesus. See, Peter and all the others, they trusted that Jesus was who he said he was, that he was the Messiah. And, it's a sh and in shame, Peter denied even knowing him when things really got hot. And so for Peter, it must have really seemed like all hope was lost during those three days. You know, there's so much in the world that's going on around us that can just sap our hope. It's hard to argue that. You know, I mentioned those macro things, these things in our environment that, that we deal with collectively. I've mentioned all of those. You know, when we get past all this stuff, folks, I hate to tell you, there's going to be more. 
There's always going to be things that we have to deal with collectively. But there's things on a micro level too that kind of hit closer to home for us. Hurts and habits and hang-ups that we deal with on a, on a much more personal level. And some of these micro struggles, they can be fueled by all these things around us, these macro things that are kind of polluting our environment. And then anxiety tends to set in when that happens. It's something I think that from one point in time all of us deal with. We're anxious. And that can be fueled by the craziness around us. I know a lot of people that really struggle with anxiety. It's, it's a real thing. That's a feeling you get when the world around you seems like it's falling apart. That's when anxiety sets in. And these emotions, they get magnified to the point, sometimes, of hopelessness. Then depression can set in. And really, I believe that's when it doesn't look like there's an end to all of this stuff that's going on around us. And sometimes that fuels addiction. That can be a response to this hopelessness that we experience on a micro and a macro level. And it can trigger anxiety and depression because when you're deep in addiction, there's a hopelessness there. It's like it's never going to end. And it seems impossible. There's a lot of different addictions that we can talk about Uh, The one most obvious is chemical addiction, whether it be drugs or alcohol. You know, we've been talking about this pandemic for two years, but we haven't been saying much about the epidemic of the opioid crisis for the last little bit. And it hasn't gone away. Actually, it's gotten worse. We've spent a lot of resources on testing and PPE and vaccines, all to battle this virus, and for a good reason. You know, the CDC claims that over 600,000 people have died since January of 2020 of COVID-related deaths. And we can all argue about how they count and everything else, but that's a cause for concern. But did you know that just short of a million people have died of drug overdoses since the year 2000? Do you know that in 2020, 100,000 people died of drug overdoses? Now, I'm not talking about... uh, you know, the health-related issues that come about from addiction that takes people's lives. I'm just talking about overdoses. 100,000 in 2020. I'm afraid to ask what it's going to be at the end of 2021 because I know that this, this virus has made it worse. It's an epidemic. Alcohol and drug abuse is an epidemic that I'm not sure we've got a total grip on. And like I said, the chaos of a pandemic is doing nothing to solve it. And it seems pretty hopeless. You know, something else, food addiction. This is something that I can relate to. I struggle with that. I do. I struggle with gluttony. I find my comfort in food. When I'm stressed out, I eat. When things get busy and a little crazy, I don't even pay attention to what's going into my body. And, you know, as a result of a lifetime of, of abuse of, of food, you know, I've got some health issues that are real. And so that I have to deal with. You know, when I was younger, I got by with it. But as I've gotten older, uh, that added weight and bad habits, they really hurt. Now, I know you're probably thinking food addiction isn't anywhere on par with drug addiction or alcohol addiction. But folks, the the health implications are real uh, for a food addiction. You know, this is something, you know, our culture is obsessed with food. I was talking out in the, the lobby with some guys about how it's hard to go to a restaurant and make a healthy choice. 
because 90% of the menu provides enough calories for one meal or one day. And so this, our culture is obsessed with it. And this obsession kind of feeds our need for instant gratification. You know, we want what we want when we want it. You know, it's because, and as a result of that, we've become an unhealthy nation. 40%, you can look these statistics up, 40% of all men and women in the United States are obese. And I'm not talking overweight either, I'm talking obese. The, the number of, of people who are overweight is a lot higher than that. Our adolescents, our children, don't fare any better. Actually, it's worse. We're raising kids that are more and more obese. You know, as a state, the state of Kentucky ranks the number eight as the most obese states in our country. West Virginia is number one, by the way. So that sounds like an epidemic proportion. You know, obesity is increased through COVID. You know, we, we've kind of joked a little bit about it, our COVID weight that we gained when we were in isolation. And it's a lot, the stress and everything else. So it hasn't gotten any better. And so I think, you know, our, our, our obsession with food, this food addiction, I think you can argue that it has kind of reached kind of epidemic proportions. And it seems pretty hopeless. I struggle with my weight, just like I told you. I think recently I've been doing better. I've, I've lost about 60 pounds or 65 pounds. And that's through the power of God. I can't do that on my own. And with His grace, I'll get down to a, a healthy weight. My, my prayer is, is that He'll help me stay there. And so it's a real thing. Food addiction is real and it creates hopelessness. There's another addiction that is terribly real, and that's pornography. You know, when I was a young boy, it wasn't all that accessible. Maybe I'd run across a Playboy magazine or something every now and then. But, you know, today it's just a keystroke and a, and, a, and a phone swipe away. Instant. Instant access. And it's more hardcore than it's ever been. You know, in the 1980s when I grew up, porn kind of came out of the shadows and it started to become mainstream with the advent of the VCR. I know there were these funny stores that actually rented videos. You guys remember those? And you could go in and you could rent them, but in some of those they had a back room that you could go in and rent a pornographic movie. And then the internet came, and it transformed this, this pornography. It made it a, a billion-dollar enterprise, and it's growing today. It's a big business you know, according to the website Statista, 4% of all websites contain adult content. And 13% of all web searches are seeking out pornography. And 20% of all mobile searches seek out pornography. And you know, a lot of people believe it's strictly a male thing. And uh, that's Somewhat true, about 87% of all searches are performed by males for adult content, but nearly 30% are by women. It's kind of an epidemic in our country. You know, our culture's done so much to normalize it. It really has. I mean, just, just, just primetime television, you know, is becoming soft porn. You know, and there's, but it's anything but normal. It's anything but normal behavior. A lot of advocates claim that online porn hurts nobody, that it's harmless. But here's something you need to understand, that the, the pornography, pornography and sex trafficking are inextric, inextricably linked. I mean, look this up for yourself. 
It's, it's actually true. And some people believe that, that online porn actually creates a demand for sex trafficking. You know, if you've been watching the news, there's a guy named Ron Jeremy. He was a 1980s porn star. He was actually arrested in California and charged with being involved in sex trafficking. A key figure in the porn industry from the 1980s. There was a sting just last week in the state of Kentucky that broke up a sex trafficking ring that's linked to pornography. So if you think it's harmless, please think again. And I'm going to tell you something, and I believe this is true. If you have viewed pornography in the past, if you've reviewed it recently, you have probably more than likely watched someone who was forced, coerced, defrauded, or even drugged into performing. Folks, that's a reality. And porn is a hard habit to break. You can totally understand that. You know, the people that I've talked with as they've, de- they've dealt with this porn addiction, what they claim is, is that, you know, just as they've seen it, just as they're done, there's this guilt and remorse that sets in. And maybe that sounds familiar to you because it's hopeless. It can seem hopeless when we suffer from that addiction. Then there's another thing that we deal with in our country that's spiked. It's anger. I think anger and incivility has reached an epidemic in our society. It's hitting close to home in a lot of places. You know, the crime rates in Lexington are at an all-time high. Major cities like Chicago, New York, other areas in this country, crime is spiking, shootings, people basically trying to kill each other and killing each other over anger. Road rage is a real thing. Road rage is a real risk for us. Online feuds between celebrities and political figures, it's almost entertainment for us as we kind of watch that going on around us. Folks feel free to attack each other online. They say things to each other they would never say to someone's face, but they're, they're free to do that on Facebook, especially Twitter. And so that's a real thing, and we kind of watch it and we're entertained by it. I've got the right to be offended is the rallying cry for angry responses. You know, and angry reactions and statements that people make online in just a brief moment of time or something that's been recorded, you know, that brings down entire political careers and even cancels people's personal lives. And it's all rooted in angry responses. Unchecked anger destroys and pulls us into hopelessness. So I hope I haven't depressed you too much and taken all your hope away, but my question in saying all of this is how do we find hope? How do we find hope in a world that seems so hopeless? I've listed a lot of things, a lot of things that people struggle with. But folks, I've barely scratched the surface. There's all kinds of stuff around us that we struggle with that saps our hope. You know, at Journey Church, we want to come alongside you. We want to try to walk with you together and help you as we all try to grow closer to Christ. But these hurts and these habits and these hang-ups, they keep us from enjoying a complete relationship with Jesus. If you're like me, that's created a lot of hopelessness in my life at times. And there's a loneliness that sets in, and there doesn't seem to be an answer to that. Guilt and shame and anxiety kind of sap that for me. We don't want people to know about what's, what we're struggling with. We don't. 
Uh, we want to keep that to ourselves because we don't want other people who have all, it to, all of it together, we don't want them to know that we're all messed up. Well, let me, let me clue you in on something. We're all messed up. We all struggle with different things, so don't feel alone. There's no reason for you to be alone. We need to work together as we try to seek this hope that I'm talking about. So where do we find our hope? Where do we turn to get over these sticking points? Who do we trust to help us out? You know, there's a lot of debate that's been going on these days about who's going to solve all of our problems. Who's going to do that? You know, we've been told for the last couple of years that we need to trust our government to save us from a virus. Then we need to put our full faith and trust in our leaders to do that. Our elected officials have been presented as our higher power. And we need to trust them. That's what we're told. Yet 600,000 people have died of the virus. Just wear a mask for 30 days, we'll flatten the curve. No problem. Just take the vaccine, all this will be over. And if we dare question our experts, then we can be canceled online. We have to trust them completely. But it doesn't seem like they've gotten a whole lot right. And I'm not getting on them too hard because, folks, they're human. Then there's the other end of this. There's people that say, oh, all this is just a hoax. COVID's not real. Uh, It's just for political folly. They're ginning up the numbers. We hear all those things. We're supposed to trust these people that, that none of this is real. We've got political parties, and each falls on one side or the other. They've both got their agendas, but who are we supposed to trust? How are we supposed to know who to listen to? How are we supposed to be objective in that? Who are we going to trust to restore our hope? You know, Peter that night, I can't imagine how utterly alone that he felt. He betrayed his friend, Jesus, denied even knowing him. I can't imagine how hopeless that was for him. But you know what? The one that he denied wasn't finished with him. He wasn't done with him by a long stretch. He was going to show him a hope that transcends everything. A hope that transcends hopelessness. We can see Peter's hope. We can see this restoration process in chapter 21 of the book of John. See, Jesus had just made himself known to to his apostles again for the third time after the resurrection. These guys were out and they were fishing on, on the boat. And Jesus was standing on the shore and he yelled from the shore and said, Drop your nets for a catch. You know, I bet that had a familiar ring to Peter. And they didn't even question it, apparently. They dropped the nets. Immediately, the nets were full of fish. And Peter knew right then it was Jesus. And it's kind of neat in the verses. He didn't wait for the boat to get to the shore. He jumped in and he swam to shore. Then Jesus cooked them breakfast. He cooked them fish over some charcoal. And let's pick this up. In John 21, verses 15 through 17. It said, When they had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Son of John, do you love me more than these? And Peter said, Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Feed my lambs, Jesus said. A second time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep, Jesus said. He asked him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? 
It says that Peter was grieved that Jesus would ask him a third time. And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep, Jesus said. Jesus asked Peter three times if he loved him. Gave him three opportunities to confess his devotion to him. So after Peter denying Christ three times, that night before the crucifixion, three times he professes his love for Jesus. And then Jesus offered him his final challenge, a challenge that he had offered before. He said, follow me. The night before the crucifixion, Peter lost all hope. See, he was longing for this Messiah, and that Messiah was dying on the cross. And I'm sure his despair was bitter and hope was lost. But through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, his hope was restored. And folks, that's not just for Peter. That's for us. It's through the resurrection that we have hope. Otherwise, it's hopeless. It's through the resurrection of Jesus Christ that we find our hope. Without the death and resurrection, there is no hope. Do you get that? That's where Peter's hope was found. That's where our hope can be found. I can relate to Peter's suffering. There's so many times in my life when the things that I've done, I felt there was no hope. The hurts of life seemed like they were never going to end. The things that I kept getting myself hung up on put me in a position where I felt like I was just running in place. And my destructive habits kept me digging a hole that seemed endless. The further I dig, I keep looking by digging, only to find out when I look back, I'm just getting deeper. And I can't climb out. When that happens, I feel alone. The biggest problem I have is I can't get past that by myself. I can't get over that by myself. Before Peter hit rock bottom the night before the crucifixion, he did. He hit rock bottom, but he found a way up. He couldn't overcome his hurts and his habits and his hang-ups on his own. But Jesus showed him the way. He told him there's nothing that he could do that God couldn't forgive. And folks, that's true for us. He gave him specific instructions to climb his way out of the hole that he had dug when he simply said, follow me. Follow Jesus. The road to recovery from all these things is a long one. It's a journey. But the only way we're going to get out of it if, it's, if it's, we're headed to one place, if we're headed to the foot of the cross, if we're headed to Christ. Folks, there's only one higher power that can save us from ourselves. That's Jesus. In a world without hope, we can, we can trust the author of hope. He wrote it. He provided it. So who do we trust? We trust Jesus. He's the source of our hope. And folks, that's the good news I wanted to finish with today. Jesus is our hope. You know, maybe you're here today and by circumstance you've never accepted Christ. You've never invited Him into your life. You're not on that journey with Him. If that's you today, you came to the right place. Because there's nothing more than I would like to do than to pray for you. And to help you walk through that. If you're here and you've been like me and you felt like you're running in place, maybe you felt like I'm treading water because of all this stuff that I can't seem to let go of. Man, I want that's me. 
And I want to pray with you as well. So I'm going to tell you how it's going to work. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to have a song. And I'm going to be standing up here. I think I see Zach in the back. I'm going to ask him to come up as well. And if you want to pray, I mean, I don't have all the answers, but I know the source. And so if you want to come up and if you want to pray, I'd love to share with you. So please feel free to do that. Pray with me as we prepare our hearts for worship. God, the author of hope, we're so thankful. Gosh, what a mess we can make of our lives here. But what a perfect God that you are. And I thank you for that. I thank you for showing us the way. It's simply by following you. And we might stumble over these obstacles. They might sometimes feel like a, 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 just a permanent roadblock. But God, you're the one that can move those out of our paths. God, we love you. We want to honor you today with our worship, with our songs, with our voices and our prayers. God, it's in your Son's name that we offer all of this for you as a pleasing sacrifice. Amen.